The second reading is from Jonah, chapter 4, and it's the whole chapter. And it's on Jonah's anger at the Lord's compassion. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, oh, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? Here ends the reading. Good morning. My name is Rick. It's great to see you here this morning. There are some faces here that I don't recognise. If we've not met before, I'd love to, to meet you later on. Or if you're watching online and we haven't met before, I'd love to hear from you as well. You can contact us via the contact button on the website. Before we continue in looking at that second Bible reading from Jonah chapter 4, I just wanted to speak briefly about next week. Next week we are having a visit from our regional bishop, Gary Koo. You may not have met Gary before. He's only been the bishop of our area since February this year. And um, although he did uh, preach for us on one of our live stream weeks when we were in lockdown, so you might have seen his face before, but he's going to be visiting us next week and preaching to us next week. Um, also next week at the 6pm service, he's going to be running a confirmation service for two of our members there, Declan DeVries and Alex Trekovsky. And so what I love for you, as I've been saying in previous weeks, is for you to be praying for those guys. It's wonderful that they're keen to stand up in front of people and declare their trust in Jesus. And I'd love you to be praying for them in this week ahead, but also ongoing that the, that the faith that they're declaring on that day will stay strong and firm for the rest of their lives. Now, because of that next week, there will be extra people at the 6pm service, and it may be that some of you want to go along and be a part of that. What that's going to mean is it's going to be particularly important for people to pre-register online. 
Every week, people pre-register. You know, we ask you to pre-register uh, before coming to, to church so that we can make sure that we have our numbers okay. And next week, it will be particularly important that we do that so that we don't exceed the numbers. But the service will also be live streaming, so that, you, that the 6 p.m. service will be live streaming as well, so that you can watch that online at home next week if you would like. All right, that's <coughs> excuse me, all, all for me on that. But let's um, let's pray and get back into Jonah chapter four. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you have revealed yourself to us, and that the character that you have revealed is wonderful beyond compare. That your mercy and love and compassion uh, is for us, and we thank you for that. And we ask that today, particularly, you will help us to to share the love and compassion that you have for others. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the questions that Christians often ask is what's sometimes called the deepest, darkest Africa question. Have, have you heard that before? Do you know what I'm talking about? Some nods. It, it goes something like this. If people need to put their trust in Jesus, in the death of Jesus, to be saved then what about those people who never have the opportunity to hear about him? Whether that's in deepest, darkest Africa, so to speak, or wherever it might be. What about them? I mean, isn't it a bit unfair? What's God going to do with those people? You might have heard that question before. You might even have asked that question before. I know I have. That question can come from, I guess, a number of different mindsets or or ways of thinking But one mindset that it can come from is one of compassion, one of concern for those people. You know, I care about those people and I want to make sure that God does too, that God does what is right for those people. Now, you know, I'd hate to think that God was unnecessarily exclusive and those people somehow missed out. And so I want to make sure that God gets on board with my concern for those people. That's the deepest, darkest Africa question. But Jonah 4 that we're looking at today really turns that question around and back onto us and it confronts us with actually the outrageous, the scandalous compassion of God that is extended even towards his enemies. And it challenges us about whether we share God's heart for the world. Let's get into it. Jonah chapter 4 begins with Jonah angry at God. And you can see in verse 1 that he says that it says that what God did seemed very wrong to Jonah. And what was it that God did that seemed so wrong? Well, we've just got to look back one verse to the last verse of chapter 3 to find out. This is what got Jonah so riled up. It says, when God saw what the Ninevites did, and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the, ju- the destruction that he had threatened. Jonah was angry because God spared the, the Ninevites, because God saved the Ninevites from the destruction that he had threatened. And then Jonah says in verse 2, this is the reason, God, why I ran away from you in the first place. This is why I didn't want to take your message to Nineveh back in chapter 1 when you asked me to, because I knew that you would do this. You know, after church last week, 
Someone came up to me, he's been really following along this series in Jonah from, from week to week, and, and he was saying, we've been going through this chapter by chapter, and I've been asking the question, why? Why did Jonah run away? We haven't found out yet. But then, of course, he read ahead into chapter 4 because he was curious, and he saw the answer. And this is it. Jonah ran away because he didn't want the Ninevites to be saved. Now, if you've read Jonah before... You may have known that already. But I still wonder if you find that surprising, that this was the reason why Jonah ran away. I mean, imagine if you kind of changed the story a little bit and instead of being sent to Nineveh, Jonah was sent to Richmond Marketplace and that he ran away from God's call to send him to Richmond Marketplace to stand on a box in the, in the middle of the shops and, and declare God's judgment on the people there. And he ran away from that. Why would you be presuming that Jonah might have ran away from that call? I mean, if it was you, why might you want to run away from that call? Because I'm scared, maybe? Because I'm worried about how people will respond to that? I'm worried that people might abuse me, maybe physically, maybe just verbally, or even just silently judging me and and, and writing me off as one of those crazy religious fanatics. I don't want people to think of me like that. People don't want to hear that. Perhaps those are some of the thoughts that might enter our mind. One reason that I don't think would enter my mind is I'm afraid that it might work. I'm worried that people might hear the warning about God's judgment and repent and be saved. But that's exactly why Jonah ran away from God's call to go to Nineveh. Of all the reasons why people don't tell other people about Jesus, that's one you don't hear very often, is it? I'm worried that it might work and I don't want it to. I don't want them to be spared from God's judgment. I want them to get what they deserve. Why would Jonah respond like that? Why would Jonah be like that? Well, the simple answer is these people, the Ninevites, were his enemies. He had very good reason to hate them and to be afraid of them. I mean, God has already said that his anger on them was justified. His, their wickedness has come up before me, he said. And the prophet Nahum describes the city of Nineveh as the city of blood. It says, full of lies, full of plunder, never without victims. And the king of Nineveh himself recognized that they were a city of evil and violence. And there was every good chance that that evil and violence could be turned against the people of Israel, Jonah's people. And in fact, a generation or two later, that's exactly what happened. This was the nation that conquered Israel. And so here, Jonah is railing at God in anger, railing at the wrongness of God, because he dared to have compassion on Jonah's enemies. I knew you would do this, God, because this is what you're like. Gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, holding back from sending disaster when I want you to, God. It's like he's listing these attributes of God as things that he hates. That God is too quick to forgive, too quick to show mercy, too gracious, too compassionate, too loving. Of course, the irony is 
as we've been reading the story of Jonah, we know that Jonah himself has been on the receiving end of these very attributes of God. Jonah himself rebelled against God and tried to get as far away from him as he could. And Jonah was facing certain death in the sea, in the belly of a fish, but God saved him. And and Jonah cried out to God in thanks. He said, salvation comes from the Lord. We heard this in chapter 2. Jonah thanked God. Thank you, God, for saving me. God was quick to have mercy, quick to save Jonah. And even now when Jonah is railing at God, God is patient with him. God is slow to anger. But Jonah doesn't seem to see the irony. While he rages at God's outrageous compassion and mercy, he's somehow oblivious to the fact that God is like that towards him as well. That Jonah himself is a beneficiary of the fact that God is a God who loves even his enemies. And this is the first thing that I think Jonah 4 is teaching us. God's scandalous love and mercy and compassion on those who don't deserve it is directed towards us as well. It includes us. And God wants us to recognise that as he wanted Jonah to recognise that. And from there he wants us to share his heart of love for our enemies. That is scandalous. When we think about the implications of that for us, that is scandalous. There's no avoiding it. But this is who God is and it's who he wants us to be too. You know, I've noticed that some of Jesus' teaching has kind of been absorbed into our kind of cultural mentality of our, I guess, social morality to the point where we've forgotten generally that it comes from Jesus. I'm thinking particularly of things like love your neighbour as yourself or what we call the golden rule, do unto others as we would have them do unto us. People kind of think that that's just self-evident for how we should treat each other. I mean, of course, we should do unto others as they would do unto us. And we teach that to kids in schools and we assume that this is how we should live and that I must be doing it if I'm getting on okay with with my loved ones and and the people around me. But there is another aspect of Jesus' teaching that hasn't really been absorbed into our cultural morality our general moral framework, and that is Jesus' call to love our enemies, even. This is still radical. This is still counter-cultural, and it's still hard. But this is where Christians must stand out as different, because we follow the Lord who said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. In fact, we follow the Lord who was hanging on a cross and he prayed forgiveness for the very people who were killing him and who were hurling insults at him while they did it. That's where we see God's love and mercy towards enemies at its most scandalous. That he would suffer humiliation and death at the hands of his own creation for our benefit. That's the heart of God, the character of God in action. And he calls us to share that heart for our enemies. And I think that Jonah is teaching us that we will only get 
that, if we realise that we are the beneficiaries of that ourselves. We can't receive God's mercy on the one hand and on the other hand deny it to others, to those who have wronged us. And as I, as I talk about this, it makes me think of the prayer of confession that we often pray in church each week and after we pray that, we sometimes spend time reflecting on the character of God that we have just prayed this prayer of confession to and sometimes we do that with the words of Psalm 103. And so maybe these words are familiar to you, this character of God. It sounds a lot like the words that Jonah spits back into God's face. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, it says, slow to anger and abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbour his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. And we hear those words as we pray a prayer of confession, and we are thankful for it, and we encourage each other with these words that this is what God is like towards us. The challenge of Jonah is to see that and to recognise that God is like that towards our enemies as well, to those who have wronged us. That's the scandal of God's love. And that's the heart of God that he calls us to share in. And it's not easy. It may be that you have experienced significant pain and hurt at the hands of someone else. The words or the actions of someone else, whether it's just thoughtfulness, thought, thoughtless or uncaring words or actions, or maybe even downright cruel and deliberate. Not everyone may have had that experience, but I'm sure that some of us have. And the book of Jonah is calling us to think, how do I feel about the idea that God might love that person? How do I feel at the prospect of standing before the throne of God in heaven in eternity and rejoicing in his goodness and his love and, and, and basking in the new creation for all eternity and then looking across and seeing that person there as well, also basking in the goodness of God and the forgiveness of God in not holding their sins against them? How would I feel about that? That's the scandal of God's love and the challenge of the book of Jonah. Do I only value God's mercy and, and compassion for myself or for me and, and my loved ones around me? Or do I also value it for others and even my enemies? God wants us to share his heart of love for our enemies. And Jesus gives us a very practical way to do this, and, and this is something that really does make a difference. He calls us to pray for them. Do you pray for those who hurt you and persecute you? That person who maybe you instinctively find yourself daydreaming about bad things happening to them. And 
rejoicing in the idea that they get what they deserve. Instead, make it your practice to pray good things for them. Pray for God's blessing upon them. Pray that they will know the mercy and compassion of God. Whether it's someone who doesn't yet trust Jesus or someone who does but has wronged you anyway, that is not easy. But it's part of God making us more like him, teaching us to share his heart of love for our enemies. And you know, it's good for us. That's the first thing that we need to take away from the example of Jonah. The second thing we need to learn is also about sharing God's heart. That is a heart that loves all of God's creation. Let's pick up the story again. In Jonah's anger about God, about him not destroying the Ninevites, God gives Jonah, I guess you could call an object lesson about how self-centered Jonah's concerns are. So Jonah goes outside the city of Nineveh to see what will happen and hoping that God's judgment will fall upon them and they'll be destroyed. Now he's basically sitting in the desert, so it's hot, right? And he builds himself a shelter and God in his, in his mercy and, and compassion on Jonah appoints a plant, provides a plant to grow up and cover the roof of his shelter to provide shade from the heat. And Jonah is thankful for that. But then the next day, God provides a worm to eat that plant and so the shade is gone and Jonah is again exposed to the elements and Jonah is angry. Angry enough to die, he says. And this is where God in his patience shows Jonah the massive difference between Jonah's concern for that plant and God's concern. Jonah's heart and God's heart. He says in verse 10 and 11, You have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? This is where I think we see the remarkable breadth of God's love and concern for his creation. Jonah is concerned about the things that give him comfort. But God is concerned about all of his creation. I think it's, excuse me, <coughs> I think it's hard for us to fathom just how much God loves his creation. Every bit of it. Even the animals. I mean, I, I love that bit at the end, how the book just ends with that funny and kind of cryptic mention of the animals in Nineveh and then just kind of says no more about them. God even loves the animals in his creation. How much more does he love the people? That's Jesus' point, isn't it, when he talks about the sparrows. You know, God cares about the sparrows enough that he provides for them and not one falls to the ground without him knowing. How much more does he care for you? But here in Jonah, it kind of turns that around against Jonah. That if God cares for the cows in Nineveh, how much more should he care for the people in Nineveh? (coughs) And God's point to Jonah is, you only cared about the plant because it benefited you. I care about every bit of my creation, 
including these 120,000 Ninevites, because I created them and I love them and I do not want to see them destroyed. And so God exposes the pettiness of Jonah's concern. I remember still years, years ago, I was in a church um, that had up the front behind kind of the stage a vase of flowers, you know, just because flowers look nice. And every week they were lovingly replaced, old flowers with new ones. And, and one week one of the pastors uh, was preaching and he was illustrating this point that God is making to Jonah. And so he took the vase and he took some scissors and he slowly cut the heads of every single one of those flowers. And people were outraged. The following week, he talked about the complaints that people made to him. How could you do something like that to those flowers? Which, of course, illustrated his point perfectly because it showed that the things that people were concerned about. Now, you may or may not be concerned about flowers at the front of a church, but I wonder what are the things that you are concerned about, that you have been concerned about. I mean, think back over the past month. What are some of the things that you've been upset over or concerned over? Were they like Jonah's concern or like God's concern for the Ninevites? Jonah's concern for the vine or God's concern for the Ninevites? I think about myself and the things that have concerned me and I know that too often they have been the things that benefit me, things that bring me comfort things that make me feel good. I mean, even just the grass in my backyard, it's dying. What am I going to do about that? Yeah, yeah that's right. Those are good things. Grass in the backyard is nice. It's a good gift of God. God provides good things for us. But God says to me and to you what he said to Jonah. You're concerned about those things? Shouldn't I be concerned about the people who I've created who are perishing? This is God's heart of love for his world. As I said at the beginning, we don't need to twist God's arm to get him on board with our concern for the lost. Quite the opposite. It is God who wants us to get on board with his concern for the lost because there is no one who loves the people of this world more than God does. The people of Nineveh and the people of deepest, darkest Africa, wherever that might be. The people of Bangladesh, the Philippines, Indonesia, Tanzania, Iran, Auckland, New York, Paris, France, and also the people of Sydney. God loves every single one of them. And he doesn't want any one of them to perish. And he went to the ultimate extreme in order to achieve that, to prevent that. That he gave the life of his own son so that he would take the judgment that they deserve. And he has left us here to tell people about that salvation that comes only through Jesus. God wants people to be saved. The people around us and the people around the world. And that can only happen through Jesus. So we need to tell them. So what about those people who have never heard, who never get to hear? 
When we ask that question, I think the important thing that must make a difference as we ask it is to remember that God cares about them more than you do. That you don't need to kind of twist God's arm on that, to hold him to account for being unfair. We can trust that God will do what is right, even in those situations that we just don't really know about. Could God use some other supernatural means, some dream or vision, so that people can put their trust in the saving death of Jesus? Yes, he could. Has he promised that he will? No, he's told us to go and tell them. So that's what he's called us to do. And today, Mission Sunday, we're particularly thinking about that with regard to the rest of the world. So I'm encouraged to hear that over the years, people have gone out from among us to the rest of the world to tell people, to tell people about Jesus. And I pray that in years to come, there will be others from among us here today who will have also gone out to do that. But even here and now, we can support those who are taking the message of Jesus to the world. The work of mission requires those who go and those who stay to support. When the Apostle Paul and Barnabas went on their mission through Asia and Europe, two of them went and the rest of the church supported them, prayed for them, financially supported them, cared for them. And that's what we are called to do, to pray for those who have gone, to financially support those who have gone, to care for them in whatever ways we can, encourage them. The question for us is, for you is, will you share God's heart for the lost and get on board with what he is doing in his world? I'm going to pray that we will. Heavenly Father, it is indeed remarkable that you so love the world that you sent your only Son so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Father, we are often comforted by the fact that this is your love for us. Father, help us not to stop there. Help us to know that this is your love for the world and to want to see the world saved through that message. Father, motivate us, equip us, and mobilise us to be a part of what you are doing in this world. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.